Book One, Chapter Seven and Eight of The Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book One, Chapter Seven and Eight. Chapter Seven. How Pompey had the city of Jerusalem delivered up to him, but took the temple by force. How he went into the Holy of Holies, as also what were his other exploits in Judea. 1. At this treatment Pompey was very angry, and took Aristobulus into custody. And when he was come to the city, he looked about where he might make his attack, for he saw the walls were so firm that it would be hard to overcome them and that the valley before the walls was terrible, and that the temple, which was within the valley, was itself encompassed by a very strong wall, insomuch that if the city were taken, that temple would be a second place of refuge for the enemy to retire to. 2. Now as he was long in deliberating about this matter, a sedition arose among the people within the city, Aristobulus's party being willing to fight, and to set their king at liberty while the party of Hyrcanus were for opening the gates to Pompey, and the dread people were in occasioned these last to be a very numerous party, when they looked upon the excellent order the Roman soldiers were in. So Aristobulus's party was worsted, and retired into the temple, and cut off the communication between the temple and the city, by breaking down the bridge that joined them together, and prepared to make an opposition to the utmost. But as the others had received the Romans into the city, and had delivered up the palace to him, Pompey sent Piso, one of his great officers, into that palace with an army, who distributed a garrison about the city, because he could not persuade any one of those that had fled to the temple to come to terms of accommodation. He then disposed all things that were round about them so as might favor their attacks, as having Hyrcanus's party very ready to afford them both counsel and assistance. 3. But Pompey himself filled up the ditch that was oil the north side of the temple, and the entire valley also, the army itself being obliged to carry the materials for that purpose. And indeed it was a hard thing to fill up that valley, by reason of its immense depth, especially as the Jews used all the means possible to repel them from their superior situation. Nor had the Romans succeeded in their endeavors, had not Pompey taken notice of the seventh days on which the Jews abstained from all sorts of work on a religious account, and raised his bank, but restrained his soldiers from fighting on those days, for the Jews only acted defensively on Sabbath days. But as soon as Pompey had filled up the valley, he erected high towers upon the bank, and brought those engines which they had fetched from Tyre near to the wall, and tried to batter it down, and the slingers of stones beat off those that stood above them, and drove them away. But the towers on this side of the city made very great resistance, and were indeed extraordinary, both for largeness and magnificence. 4. Now here it was that, upon the many hardships which the Romans underwent, Pompey could not but admire, not only at the other instances of the Jews' fortitude, but especially that they did not at all intermit their religious services, even when they were encompassed with darts on all sides. For, as if the city were in full peace, their daily sacrifices and purifications, and every branch of their religious worship, was still performed to God with the utmost exactness. Nor indeed when the temple was actually taken, and they were every day slain about the altar, 
did they leave off the instances of their divine worship that were appointed by their law. For it was in the third month of the siege before the Romans could even with great difficulty overthrow one of the towers and get into the temple. Now he that first of all ventured to get over the wall was Faustus Cornelius, the son of Scylla. And next after him were two centurions, Furius and Fabius. And every one of these was followed by a cohort of his own, who encompassed the Jews on all sides, and slew them, some of them as they were running for shelter to the temple, and others as they, for a while, fought in their own defense. 5. And now did many of the priests, even when they saw their enemies assailing them with swords in their hands, without any disturbance, go on with their divine worship, and were slain while they were offering their drink offerings, and burning their incense, as preferring the duties about their worship to God before their own preservation. The greatest part of them were slain by their own countrymen of the adverse faction, and an innumerable multitude threw themselves down the precipices. Nay, some there were who were so distracted among the insuperable difficulties they were under, that they set fire to the buildings that were near to the wall, and were burnt together with them. Now of the Jews were slain twelve thousand, but of the Romans very few were slain, but a greater number was wounded. 6. But there was nothing that affected the nation so much in the calamities that they were then under, as that their holy place, which had been hitherto seen by none, should be laid open to strangers, for Pompey, and those that were about him, went into the temple itself. Footnote. Thus says Tacitus. C.N. Papelna first of all subdued the Jews, and went into their temple, by right of conquest. Nor did he touch any of its riches, as has been observed on the parallel place of the Antiquities, b. 14, chapter 4, section 4, out of Cicero himself. End footnote. Whither it was not lawful for any to enter but the high priest, and saw what was reposited therein, the candlestick with its lamps, and the table, and the pouring vessels, and the censers, all made entirely of gold, as also a great quantity of spices heaped together, with two thousand talents of sacred money. Yet did not he touch that money, nor anything else that was there reposited. But he commanded the ministers about the temple, the very next day after he had taken it, to cleanse it, and to perform their accustomed sacrifices. Moreover, he made Hyrcanus high priest, as one that not only in other respects had showed great alacrity on his side during the siege, but as he had been the means of hindering the multitude that was in the country from fighting for Aristobulus, which they were otherwise very ready to have done, by which means he acted the part of a good general, and reconciled the people to him more by benevolence than by terror. Now, among the captives, Aristobulus's father-in-law was taken, who was also his uncle, so those that were the most guilty he punished with Decalathlon, but rewarded Faustus, and those with him that had fought so bravely, with glorious presence, and laid a tribute upon the country, and upon Jerusalem itself. 7. He also took away from the nation all those cities that they had formerly taken, and that belonged to Celesyria, and made them subject to him, that he was at that time appointed to be the Roman president there, and reduced Judea within its proper bounds. He also rebuilt Gadara. Footnote. The coin of this Gadara, still extant, with its date from this era, is a certain evidence of this its rebuilding by Pompey, as Spanheim here assures us. End footnote. 
that had been demolished by the Jews, in order to gratify one Demetrius, who was of Gadara, and was one of his own freedmen. He also made other cities free from their dominion, that lay in the midst of the country, such, I mean, as they had not demolished before that time, Hippos and Scythopolis, as also Pella and Samaria and Marissa, and besides these Ashdod and Jamnia and Arethusa, and in like manner dealt he with the maritime cities, Gaza and Joppa and Dora, and that which was anciently called Strato's Tower, but was afterward rebuilt with the most magnificent edifices, and had its name changed to Caesarea by King Herod all which he restored to their own citizens, and put them under the province of Syria, which province, together with Judea, and the countries as far as Egypt and Euphrates, he committed to Scarus as their governor, and gave him two legions to support him, while he made all the haste he could himself to go through Cilicia, in his way to Rome, having Aristobulus and his children along with him as his captives. They were two daughters and two sons the one of which sons, Alexander, ran away as he was going, but the younger, Antigonus, with his sisters, was carried to Rome. Chapter 8 The son of Aristobulus, who ran away from Pompey, makes an expedition against Hyrcanus, but being overcome by Gabinius, he delivers up the fortresses to him. After this, Aristobulus escapes from Rome and gathers an army together, but being beaten by the Romans, he is brought back to Rome, with other things relating to Gabinius, Crassus, and Cassius. 1. In the meantime, Scarus made an expedition into Arabia, but was stopped by the difficulty of the places about Petra. However, he laid waste the country about Pella, though even there he was under great hardship, for his army was afflicted with famine. In order to supply which want, Hyrcanus afforded him some assistance, and sent him provisions by the means of Antipater whom also Scarus sent to Aretas, as one well acquainted with him, to induce him to pay him money to buy his peace. The king of Arabia complied with the proposal, and gave him three hundred talents, upon which Scarus drew his army out of Arabia. Footnote. Take the like attestation to the truth of this submission of Aretas, king of Arabia, to Scarus, the Roman general, in the words of Dean Aldrich. Hence, says he, is derived that old and famous denarius belonging to the Emilian family, represented in Havercamp's edition, wherein Aretas appears in a posture of supplication, and taking hold of a camel's bridle with his left hand, and with his right hand presenting a branch of the frankincense tree, with this inscription, M. Scarus XSC, and beneath, Rex Aretas. End footnote. 2. But as for Alexander, that son of Aristobulus who ran away from Pompey, in some time he got a considerable band of men together, and lay heavy upon Hyrcanus, and overran Judea, and was likely to overturn him quickly, and indeed he had come to Jerusalem, and had ventured to rebuild its wall that was thrown down by Pompey, had not Gabinius, who was sent as successor to Scarus into Syria, showed his bravery, as in many other points, so in making an expedition against Alexander, who, as he was afraid that he would attack him. So he got together a large army, composed of ten thousand armed footmen, and fifteen hundred horsemen. He also built walls about proper places, Alexandrium and Hyrcanium and Machorus, that lay upon the mountains of Arabia. 3. However, Gabinius sent before him Marcus Antonius, and followed himself with his whole army. 
but for the select body of soldiers that were about Antipater, and another body of Jews under the command of Malichus and Pithelaus, these joined themselves to those captains that were about Marcus Antonius, and met Alexander, to which body came Oabinius with his main army soon afterward. And as Alexander was not able to sustain the charge of the enemy's forces, now they were joined, he retired. But when he was come near to Jerusalem, he was forced to fight, and lost six thousand men in the battle, three thousand of which fell down dead, and three thousand were taken alive. So he fled with the remainder to Alexandrium. Now when Gabinius was come to Alexandrium, because he found a great many there encamped, he tried, by promising them pardon for their former offenses, to induce them to come over to him before it came to a fight. But when they would hearken to no terms of accommodation, he slew a great number of them, and shut up a great number of them in the citadel. Now Marcus Antonius, their leader, signalized himself in this battle, who, as he always showed great courage, so did he never show it so much as now. But Gabinius, leaving forces to take the citadel, went away himself, and settled the cities that had not been demolished, and rebuilt those that had been destroyed. Accordingly, upon his injunctions, the following cities were restored, Scythopolis, and Samaria, and Anthedon, and Apollonia, and Jamnia, and Raphia, and Mariasa, and Adorius, and Gamala, and Ashdod, and many others, while a great number of men readily ran to each of them, and became their inhabitants. 5. When Gabinius had taken care of these cities, he returned to Alexandrium, and pressed on the siege. So when Alexander despaired of ever obtaining the government, he sent ambassadors to him, and prayed him to forgive what he had offended him in, and gave up to him the remaining fortresses, Hyrcanium and Machaerus, as he put Alexandrium into his hands afterwards, all which Gabinius demolished, at the persuasion of Alexander's mother, that they might not be receptacles of men in a second war. She was now there in order to mollify Gabinius, out of her concern for her relations that were captives at Rome, which were her husband and her other children. After this, Gabinius brought Hyrcanus to Jerusalem, and committed the care of the temple to him, but ordained the other political government to be by an aristocracy. He also parted the whole nation into five conventions, assigning one portion to Jerusalem, another to Gadara, then another should belong to Amathus, a fourth to Jericho, and to the fifth division was allotted Sepphoris, a city of Galilee. So the people were glad to be thus freed from monarchical government, and were governed for the future by all aristocracy. 6. Yet did Aristobulus afford another foundation for new disturbances. He fled away from Rome, and got together again many of the Jews that were desirous of a change, such as he had borne in affection to him of old. And when he had taken Alexandrium in the first place, he attempted to build a wall about it. But as soon as Gabinius had sent an army against him under Siscuria, and Antonius, and Servilius, he was aware of it, and retreated to Machaerus. And as for the unprofitable multitude, he dismissed them, and only marched on with those that were armed, being to the number of eight thousand, among whom was Pitholaus, who had been the lieutenant at Jerusalem, but deserted to Aristobulus with a thousand of his men. So the Romans followed him, and when it came to a battle, Aristobulus's party for a long time fought courageously, but at length they were overborne by the Romans, and of them five thousand fell down dead, and about two thousand fled to a certain little hill. But the thousand that remained with Aristobulus brake through the Roman army, and marched together to Machaerus. And when the king had lodged the first night upon its ruins, he was in hopes of raising another army. 
if the war would but cease a while, accordingly he fortified that stronghold, though it was done after a poor manner. But the Romans falling upon him, he resisted, even beyond his abilities, for two days, and then was taken and brought a prisoner to Gabinius, with Antigonus his son, who had fled away together with him from Rome. And from Gabinius he was carried to Rome again. Wherefore the Senate put him under confinement, but returned his children back to Judea, because Gabinius informed them by letters that he had promised Aristobulus's mother to do so, for her delivering the fortresses up to him. 7. But now, as Gabinius was marching to the war against the Parthians, he was hindered by Ptolemy, whom, upon his return from Euphrates, he brought back into Egypt, making use of Hyrcanus and Antipater to provide everything that was necessary for the expedition. For Antipater furnished him with money, and weapons, and corn, and auxiliaries. He also prevailed with the Jews that were there, and guarded the avenues at Pelusium, to let them pass. But now, upon Gabinius's absence, the other part of Syria was in motion, and Alexander, the son of Aristobulus, brought the Jews to revolt again. Accordingly, he got together a very great army, and set about killing all the Romans that were in the country. Hereupon Gabinius was afraid, for he was come back already out of Egypt, and obliged to come back quickly by these tumults, and sent Antipater, who prevailed with some of the revolters to be quiet. However, thirty thousand still continued with Alexander, who was himself eager to fight also. Accordingly, Gabinius went out to fight, when the Jews met him, and as the battle was fought near Mount Tabor, ten thousand of them were slain, and the rest of the multitude dispersed themselves and fled away. So Gabinius came to Jerusalem, and settled the government as Antipater would have it. Thence he marched, and fought and beat the Nabataeans. As for Mithridates and Orsenes, who fled out of Parthen, he sent them away privately, but gave it out among the soldiers that they had run away. 8. In the meantime, Crassus came as successor to Gabinius in Syria. He took away all the rest of the gold belonging to the temple of Jerusalem, in order to furnish himself for his expedition against the Parthians. He also took away the two thousand talents which Pompey had not touched. But when he had passed over Euphrates, he perished himself, and his army with him, concerning which affairs this is not a proper time to speak more largely. 9. But now Cassius, after Crassus, put a stop to the Parthians, who were marching in order to enter Syria. Cassius had fled into that province, and when he had taken possession of the same, he made a hasty march into Judea, and, upon his taking Terechiae, he carried thirty thousand Jews into slavery. He also slew Pitholaus, who had supported the seditious followers of Aristobulus, and it was Antipater who advised him to do so. Now this Antipater married a wife of an eminent family among the Arabissus, whose name was Cyprus, and had four sons born to him by her, Phasaelus and Herod, who was afterwards king, and, besides these, Joseph and Pheroras, and he had a daughter whose name was Salome. Now as he made himself friends among the men of power everywhere, by the kind offices he did them, and the hospitable manner that he treated them, so did he contract the greatest friendship with the king of Arabia, by marrying his relation, insomuch that when he made war with Aristobulus, he sent and entrusted his children with him. So when Cassius had forced Alexander to come to terms and to be quiet, he returned to Euphrates, in order to prevent the Parthians from repassing it, concerning which matter we shall speak elsewhere. Footnote. This citation is now wanting. End footnote. 
End of Book 1, Chapters 7 and 8